Section 22 of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Polzunkov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from Russian by Constance Garnett. Part 1. I began to scrutinize the man closely. Even in his exterior there was something so peculiar that it compelled one, however far away one's thoughts might be, to fix one's eyes upon him and go off into the most irrepressible roar of laughter. That is what happened to me. I must observe that the little man's eyes were so mobile, or perhaps he was so sensitive to the magnetism of every eye fixed upon him, that he almost by instinct guessed that he was being observed. Turned at once to the observer, and anxiously analyzed his expression. His continual mobility, his turning and twisting, made him look strikingly like a dancing doll. It was strange. He seemed afraid of jeers, in spite of the fact that he was almost getting his living by being a buffoon for all the world, and exposed himself to every buffet in a moral sense and even in a physical one, judging from the company he was in. Voluntary buffoons are not even to be pitied, but I noticed at once that this strange creature, this ridiculous man, was by no means a buffoon by profession. There was still something gentlemanly in him. His very uneasiness, his continual apprehensiveness about himself, were actually a testimony in his favor. It seemed to me that his desire to be obliging was due more to kindness of heart than to mercenary considerations. He readily allowed them to laugh their loudest at him, and in the most unseemly way, to his face. But at the same time, and I am ready to take my oath on it, his heart ached and was sore at the thought that his listeners were so cattishly brutal as to be capable of laughing, not at anything said or done, but at him, at his whole being, at his heart, at his head, at his appearance, at his whole body, flesh and blood. I am convinced that he felt at that moment all the foolishness of his position. But the protest died away in his heart at once, though it invariably sprang up again in the most heroic way. I am convinced that all this was due to nothing else but a kind heart, and not to fear of the inconvenience of being kicked out and being unable to borrow money from someone. This gentleman was forever borrowing money, that is, he asks for alms in that form, when, after playing the fool and entertaining them at his expense, he felt a certain sense entitled to borrow money from them. But good heavens, what a business the borrowing was, and with what countenance he asked for the loan. I could not have imagined that on such a small space as the wrinkled, angular face of that little man, room could be found at one and the same time for so many different grimaces, for such strange, variously characteristic shades of feeling, such absolutely killing expressions. Everything was there, shame and an assumption of insolence, and vexation at the sudden flushing of his face, and anger and fear of failure, and entreaty to be forgiven for having dared to pester, and a sense of his own dignity, and a still greater sense of his own abjectness. All this passed over his face like lightning. For six whole years he had struggled along in God's world in this way, and so far had been unable to take up a fitting attitude at the interesting moment of borrowing money, I need not say that he never could grow callous and completely abject. His heart was too sensitive, too passionate. I will say more, indeed, 
in my opinion he was one of the most honest and honourable men in the world but with a little weakness of being ready to do anything abject at anyone's bidding good-naturedly and disinterestedly simply to oblige a fellow-creature in short he was what is called a rag in the fullest sense of the word the most absurd thing was that he was dressed like anyone else neither worse nor better tidily even with a certain elaborateness and actually had pretensions to respectability and personal dignity this external equality and internal inequality his uneasiness about himself and at the same time his continual self-deprecation all this was strikingly incongruous and provocative of laughter and pity if he had been convinced in his heart and in spite of his experience it did happen to him at moments to believe this that his audience were the most good-natured people in the world who were simply laughing at something amusing and not at the sacrifice of his personal dignity he would most readily have taken off his coat put it on wrong side outwards and have walked about the streets in that attire for the diversion of others and his own gratification but equality he could never anyhow attain another trait the queer fellow was proud and even by fits and starts when it was not too risky generous it was worth seeing and hearing how he could sometimes not sparing himself consequently with pluck almost with heroism dispose of one of his patrons who had infuriated him to madness but that was at moments in short he was a martyr in the fullest sense of the word but the most useless and consequently the most comic martyr there was a general discussion going on among the guests all at once i saw our queer friend jump upon his chair and call out at the top of his voice anxious for the exclusive attention of the company listen the master of the house whispered to me he sometimes tells the most curious stories does he interest you i nodded and squeezed myself into the group the sight of a well-dressed gentleman jumping upon his chair and shouting at the top of his voice did in fact draw the attention of all many who did not know the queer fellow looked at one another in perplexity the others roared with laughter i knew fidusei nikolaitch i ought to know fidusei nikolaitch better than any one cried the queer fellow from his elevation gentlemen allow me to tell you something i can tell you a good story about fidusei nikolaitch i know a story exquisite tell it osip mihalaitch tell it tell it listen 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 i begin but gentlemen this is a peculiar story very good very good it's a comic story very good excellent splendid get on it is an episode in the private life of your humble but why do you trouble yourself to announce that it is comic and even somewhat tragic eh? in short the story which it will afford you all pleasure to hear me now relate gentlemen is the story in consequence of which i have come into company so interesting and profitable no puns this story in short the story make haste and finish the introduction the story which has its value a fair-haired young gentleman with moustaches pronounced in a husky voice dropping his hand into his coat pocket and as though by chance pulling out a purse instead of his handkerchief the story my dear sirs after which i should like to see many of you in my place and finally the story in consequence of which i have not married married a wife polzunkov tried to get married i confess i should like to see madame polzunkov allow me to inquire the name of the would-be madame polzunkov piped a youth making his way up to the storyteller 
And so, for the first chapter, gentlemen, it was just six years ago in spring, the 31st of March, note the date, gentlemen, on the eve. Of the 1st of April, cried a young man with ringlets. You are extraordinarily quick at guessing. It was evening. Twilight was gathering over the district town of N. The moon was about to float out. Everything in proper style, in fact. And so, in the very late twilight, I, too, floated out of my poor lodging on the sly, after taking leave of my restricted granny, now dead. Excuse me, gentlemen, for making use of such a fashionable expression, which I had heard for the last time from Nikolai Nikolaitch. But my granny was indeed restricted. She was blind, dumb, deaf, stupid, everything you please. I confess I was in a tremor. I was prepared for great deeds. My heart was beating like a kitten's when some bony hand clutches it by the scruff of the neck. Excuse me, Monsieur Polzunkov. What do you want? Tell it more simply. Don't overexert yourself, please. All right, said Asip Nikolaitch, a little taken aback. I went into the house of Fidesse Nikolaitch, the house that he had bought. Fidesse Nikolaitch, as you know, is not a mere colleague, but the full-blown head of a department. I was announced and was at once shown into the study. I can see it now. The room was dark, almost dark, but candles were not brought. Behold, Fidesse Nikolaitch walks in. There he and I were left in the darkness. Whatever happened to you? asked an officer. What do you suppose? asked Polzunkov, turning promptly, with a convulsively working face, to the young man with ringlets. Well, gentlemen, a strange circumstance occurred, though indeed there was nothing strange in it. It was what is called an everyday affair. I simply took out of my pocket a roll of paper, and he a roll of paper. Paper notes? Paper notes. And we exchanged. I don't mind betting that there's a flavor of bribery about it, observed a respectably dressed, closely cropped young gentleman. Bribery? Polzunkov caught him up. Oh, may I be a liberal, such as many I have seen. If you too, when it is your lot to serve in the provinces, do not warm your hands at your country's hearth, for as an author said, even the smoke of our native land is sweet to us. She is our mother, gentlemen, our mother Russia. We are her babes, and so we suck her. There was a roar of laughter. Only, would you believe it, gentlemen? I have never taken bribes, said Polzunkov, looking round at the whole company distrustfully. A prolonged burst of Homeric laughter drowned Polzunkov's word in guffaws. It really is so, gentlemen. But here he stopped, still looking round at everyone with a strange expression of face. Perhaps, who knows, at that moment the thought came into his mind that he was more honest than many of all that honorable company. Anyway, the serious expression of his face did not pass away till the general merriment was quite over. And so, Polzunkov began, when all was still, though I never did take bribes, yet that time I transgressed, I put in my pocket a bribe, from a bribe-taker, that is. There were certain papers in my hands which, if I had cared to send to a certain person, it would have gone ill with Fidesse Nikolaitch. So then he bought them from you? He did. Did he give much? He gave as much as many a man nowadays would sell his conscience for complete, with all its variations, if only he could get anything for it. But I felt as though I were scalded when I put the money in my pocket. I really don't understand what always comes over me, gentlemen. But I was more dead than alive. My lips twitched and my legs trembled. Well, I was to blame, to blame, entirely to blame. 
I was utterly conscience-stricken. I was ready to beg Fidesay Nikolaitch's forgiveness. Well, what did he do? Did he forgive you? But I didn't ask for his forgiveness. I only mean that that is how I felt. Then I have a sensitive heart, you know. I saw he was looking me straight in the face. Have you no fear of God, Osip Mihailovich? said he. Well, what could I do? From a feeling of propriety, I put my head on one side and I flung up my hands. In what way, said I, have I no fear of God, Fidesay Nikolaitch? But I just said that from a feeling of propriety. I was ready to sink into the earth. After being so long a friend of our family, after being, I may say, like a son, and who knows what heaven had in store for us, Osip Mihailovich, and all of a sudden to inform against me, to think of that now, what am I to think of mankind after that, Osip Mihailovich? Yes, gentlemen, he did read me a lecture. Come, he said, you tell me what I am to think of mankind after that, Osip Mihailovich. What is he to think, I thought, and do you know there was a lump in my throat, and my voice was quivering, and knowing my hateful weakness, I snatched up my hat. Where are you off to, Osip Mihailovich? Surely on the eve of such a day you cannot bear malice against me? What wrong have I done you? Fidesay Nikolaitch, I said. Fidesay Nikolaitch. In fact, I melted, gentlemen. I melted like a sugar stick, and the roll of notes that was lying in my pocket, that too seemed screaming out. You ungrateful brigand, you accursed thief. It seemed to weigh a hundredweight, if only it had weighed a hundredweight. I see, says Fidesay Nikolaitch. I see your penitence. You know tomorrow, St. Mary of Egypt's day. Well, don't weep, said Fidesay Nikolaitch. That's enough. You've erred, and you are penitent. Come along. Maybe I may succeed in bringing you back again into the true path, says he. Maybe, my modest penance. Yes, penance. I remember he used that expression, the rascal. Will warm, says he. You're hardened. I will not say hardened, but erring heart. He took me by the arm, gentlemen, and led me to his family circle. A cold shiver ran down my back. I shuddered. I thought, with what eyes shall I present myself? You must know, gentlemen. Ugh, what shall I say? A delicate position had arisen here. Not Madame Polzunkov? Maria Fedosevna. Only she was not destined, you know, to bear that name you have given her. She did not attain that honor. Fidesay Nikolaitch was right, you see, when he had said that I was almost looked upon as a son in the house. It had been so, indeed, six months before, when a certain retired junker called Mihailo Maximich Dvigalov was still living. But by God's will he died, and he put off settling his affairs till death settled his business for him. Ugh! Well, never mind, gentlemen. Forgive me. It was a slip of the tongue. It's a bad pun, but it doesn't matter its being bad. What happened was far worse. When I was left, so to say, with nothing in prospect but a bullet through the brain, for that junker, though he would not admit me into his house, he lived in a grand style, for he had always known how to feather his nest. Yet perhaps, correctly, he believed me to be his son. Aha! Uh -huh. Yes, that's how it was. So they began to cold-shoulder me at Fidesay Nikolaitch's. I noticed things, I kept quiet. But all at once, unluckily for me, or perhaps luckily, a cavalry officer galloped into our little town like snow on our head. His business, buying horses for the army, was light and active, in cavalry style, but he settled himself solidly at Fidesay Nikolaitch's, 
as though he were laying siege to it. I approached the subject in a roundabout way, as my nasty habit is. I said one thing and another, asking him what I had done to be treated so, saying that I was almost like a son to him, and when might I expect him to behave more like a father? Well, he began answering me, and when he begins to speak, you are in for a regular epic in twelve cantos, and all you can do is listen, lick your lips, and throw up your hands in delight, and not a hap-worth of sense, at least there's no making out the sense. You stand puzzled like a fool. He puts you in a fog, he twists about like an eel, and wriggles away from you. It's a special gift, a real gift. It's enough to frighten people, even if it's no concern of theirs. I tried one thing and another, and went hither and thither. I took the lady's songs and presented her with sweets, and thought of witty things to say to her. I tried sighing and groaning. My heart aches, I said. It aches from love. And I went in for tears and secret explanations. Man is foolish, you know. I never reminded myself that I was thirty. Not a bit of it. I tried all my arts. It was no go. It was a failure. And I gained nothing but jeers and jibes. I was indignant. I was choking with anger. I slunk off and would not set foot in the house. I thought and thought and made up my mind to denounce him. Well, of course, it was a shabby thing. I meant to give away a friend, I confess. I had heaps of material, and splendid material, a grand case. It brought me fifteen hundred roubles when I changed it and my report on it for banknotes. Ah, so that was the bribe. Yes, sir, that was the bribe. And it was a bribe-taker who had to pay it. And I didn't do wrong, I can assure you. End of part one